Draw, animate, compose music. These words bombarded TVs everywhere as Mario Paint commercials told parents and children that they were being given the power to create. Released stateside in August of 1992, Mario Paint is a suite of content creation tools released for a console before content creation was even ever a thing. It's one of the less traditional Mario games and we're going to talk all about it. So grab your watercolors, your paintbrush, let's find your happy place, and follow along as we paint you a nostalgic picture on today's trip down memory card lane. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 49th episode of our Video Game Nostalgia podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week we take a look back at one title released during the current week in gaming history, and we talk about it. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the game, what it took from the world and its inspiration, or what it gave back to it as its legacy. I'm David Casson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, who is also known as the Picasso of the Super Nintendo era, my brother, Rob Casson. Rob, how's all that artist cred working out for you? Uh, I would like to know as well, because if that's what they're calling me, I feel like I should be getting paid a hell of a lot more than I do. Well, have you had any gallery showings lately? Uh, See, that's your answer right there. you got to show off what you make. Well, that requires work. Not only work. You also have to have the ability to show off what you make, which is something we're going to talk about today. I know, a little teaser, a little teaser, a little teaser. So how are you? I am doing well. How about yourself? I'm also doing well, also doing well. Yeah, I'm doing well. What you playing these days? Uh, This week has been some Tarkov, Rocket League, and Overwatch, actually. Tarkov, Rocket League, and Overwatch. That is quite a combination of things, just so you know. Overwatch, huh? Where'd Overwatch come from? Somebody started playing it again, and it's more fun with a group of friends, so we decided to hop over there for a few games after having some bad Tarkov raids, and, you know, just played as a team. Uh, this week I have had some time to play a little bit of uh, still still working through Ghost of Tsushima. Um, so we're, we're still on that and, um, I played like an hour of a co-op shooter called the Ascent, which is like a action RPG, which is, you know, something I just want to dabble in. I do want to get into the game. It's bigger than I thought it was. So it's something I think I might table until I have some more time to play it. Unless someone really wants to play it with me, then I might consider it, but haven't really had any time for anything else, so that's fun. I, you know what, though, I was just thinking about it. I really want to get through, you know, Ghost of Tsushima and play this other stuff, but I also really want to have time this week to play the game we're covering next week, so I need to make time for that. But before we get to that, let's talk about this week's game, shall we? That we shall. Take her away. So we're looking at Mario Paint this week. You ever play Mario Paint? Unfortunately, no, I never had the chance to. Hmm. I, I have. I don't remember where, though. Like, I, and I, I've played it. 
I know I've played it emulator-wise, but I also know that I've had my hands on the SNES mouse, which is part of this game, too. I just, I've been racking my head about where all week, and I just, I don't have the slightest clue where I played it. I mean, it had to have been at a friend's house or something like that, you know what I mean? Absolutely, yeah, because uh pretty confident we did not have it. Oh, no, we definitely did not have it. We definitely did not have it. On the topic of SNES peripherals, I know we had the Super Scope. I don't really know if there were any others than the Super Scope that we had. And I remember mm. for, I, I remember with the Super Scope, we had this like Battletech game I like to play because the Super Scope was like a bazooka. And you could. Yeah, I don't think we had anything other than the Super Scope, but not for the SNES. I know we had for the NES, but. Yeah, well, we've talked about having the gamepad and the light gun before. Zapper. The zapper. And it was. Yep. And probably multi taps for 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 it and all sorts of fun stuff. So Mario Paint. I thought today that we would start our discussion by talking a little bit about uh what's called an edutainment software, which Mario Paint is one. Or educational software, whichever you'd like to call it. You know, an educational software by definition is a video game that provides learning or training value to the player. Ooh. I know, right? I know that we've talked about more than once in the past about how video games can inadvertently become educational tools. Uh, One of our very first episodes, we talked about Battlefield 1942, and, you know, there were comments, you know, both on our part and on some of the the quotes that we read where people had learned inadvertently battle locations about World War II playing Battlefield 1942. I know I have briefly talked about how I learned a little bit about history playing Age of Empires. So we've we've discussed before about the educational value of video games. Can you think of any other instances? It's come up more than that, hasn't it? I'm sure that it has, but at the moment I'm drawing a blame. I mean, you know, obviously Assassin's Creed. That's a good one. We learned some. uh, Yeah, yeah. I really like Although twisted, but yeah. Like not twisted, like weird, but like twisted yeah. isn't warped. No. Oh no, I think the the still historical the new ones are great. Odyssey and crap, what's the Egyptian one? Origins. Uh, yeah, those are on my playlist, but I, I haven't as of yet. So. I mean, Origins literally has a, a a discovery mode, which is non non. There there are no enemies. It's literally like a tourism mode where you just walk around and you can learn things about the different structures and places that you go like like walking a museum but the museum is the map which is egypt it's really cool and odyssey is great odyssey i mean it's like walking that's one of my favorite thing about the assassin's creed games in all honesty is it's yeah i mean it's not real history but it's like being there you know it it, it, the depictions of athens you know in, in odyssey are amazing it's great it's it's a it is a view that we don't have anymore. And I think it's really cool getting to see these old places come to life is the point. But with that being said, I don't believe that we've talked about any educational, like specifically educational titles yet. I, I do believe that Mario part, Mario part, Mario paint is going to be the first. I think you may be right. Yes. It's definitely not going to be the last. I was looking at our calendar moving forward. And in December, if I'm not mistaken, we're going to be covering Oregon Trail. 
there there'll be other opportunities for you know that's another edutainment title that actually I just downloaded the newest one on my my iPhone to play it so that'll be kind of neat nice funny enough I you know our game for next week I'm debating how I want to play it I I, I own it or, you know but I don't really know if I want to pull out because it's a Super Nintendo game I don't know if I want to pull out my Super Nintendo for a matter of convenience. I might be better off buying the iOS port to be able to play it on the go or when I have downtime at work or stuff to just try to eke it out. Anyway, so Mario Paint. Right. Mario Paint 1992. Prior to the early 90s, most educational software was PC-based. You know, there's plenty, plenty of titles that children of the 80s and 90s are going to recognize other than Oregon Trail, for instance. Stop me if you've ever played any of these. Number Munchers? Nothing. Reader Rabbit. How about the Incredible Machine series? You never got to play the Incredible Machine series? I didn't stop you, did I? And then Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego? That's probably the biggest one. Did you ever play that, at least? Nope. Really? I've heard of it, but I've never played it. My goodness. You know, Nintendo themselves was also into PC educational software. The same, Actually, the same year the Mario Park came out in 1992... They licensed a PC educational software to interplay software called Mario Loves Typing, which was a PC-based typing game. Hmm. But that being said, let's take a look over on the console side of things, right? There, there really weren't very many educational titles up until this point. I'm sure there were a few in the early, you know, Atari Commodore era. You know, I'd be... I didn't look, but I'd be hard-pressed to believe, for instance, that maybe there wasn't a Sesame Street title on, like, the early Ataris or something. But I can tell you that during the NES era, we had Donkey Kong Jr. Math, which, you know, we talked about Donkey Kong last week, and here we are. Donkey Kong Jr. Math. I, I don't... Yeah, I know. There was also a number of Sesame Street titles, including Sesame Street ABC, Sesame Street 123, Sesame Street Countdown. There was a Mickey's number countdown or something along those lines. So there were there were a little bit of a little bit of educational software during the NES era. In the same vein of Mario Paint, there was a I guess a similar game, like a coloring book type game, released on NES called Color a Dinosaur. You can probably guess what that one was based on or what, what you did in that game. Nah, honestly, I'm at a loss. I know, right? I I guess that maybe you color. I think that you shoot a car. Oh, good one. Uh, fun fact: I know I've talked about him before when we've talked about retro speed running. The speed running Twitch Cowboy Arcus. One of the rewards he has available when you I what is it? Donate bits. I haven't been doing a lot of Twitch streaming lately, so I always forget. But when you donate bits, one of the things that you can buy or you can donate towards is a, a color color a dinosaur break where in between his main runs of his stuff, he'll take a break and he'll color in one of the coloring book options on the color a dinosaur software. So if you want to see what color a dinosaur looks like in real life type deal, just go check out Arcus on Twitch. A little plug for someone. Yeah. Yeah. And on the Sega side, there was a similar game called Art Alive, which was, you know, very similar. And then in 1990, we also had something called the Miracle Teaching Piano System, 
which was basically just a MIDI keyboard. It was a piano like keyboard teaching tool that could plug into Nintendo systems, the NES and the SES, SNES, if I'm not mistaken. It could plug into the Sega systems, the Master System, and the Genesis, and it could also be bought for PCs. And you you know you'd buy the system, and then you could buy the appropriate cartridge or software for whatever you wanted to plug it into. And realistically, that's that's a lot. I mean, that's that's the majority of console edutainment titles leading up to this point. There just there just wasn't it wasn't a thing. It, it wasn't a thing. You know, no no one was no one was thinking about it at the time. But coming out of the eight bit era, video games were insanely popular. You know, we talked a little bit last week about how, you know, I my firm belief is that Donkey Kong strongly contributed to saving the video game industry because it gave Nintendo the money it needed to develop the NES. And I don't know, I mean, who knows if it would have been there if there wasn't a Donkey Kong. That's that's a matter of debate, you know? Um, so here we are, the NES era, and Nintendo games are, Nintendo makes consoles and video games and home gaming incredibly popular. Kids are spending more and more time playing video games, which, of course, any time that you have anything that children start to fixate on, parents become concerned, right? Absolutely. And so in the media, you had all this talk about how video games were corrupting children, you know, and different. It's a, it was a different conversation than how we talk about it nowadays. Nowadays, when we talk about video games corrupting children, you know, we talk about it from the violence standpoint or the 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 mature uh, mature content standpoint, um, both in the games themselves and in the social aspect of gaming, because you get exposed to a lot of you know more people variety mature topics. Unfortunately, because of toxic communities online, earlier than you ever would have before. But video games were isolated and they were in homes, and so back then the talk was more about how video games were more of a colossal waste of time than anything and corrupting children. And so Nintendo was really, they were in a place as they were transitioning over to Super Nintendo that they really needed to show, they needed something to show that video game consoles could be used for something other than, well, I mean, video games. You, you, you know what I mean? Absolutely. You know, parents were starting to pay attention, and funny enough, this was just before Mortal Kombat, so we weren't, like I said, we weren't really talking about the the violence deal yet. This was literally, this was literally like, what was the value of video games to my children? You know, what they're they're spending all this time, they're addicted to video games. What are they getting back from it? And frankly, Nintendo and other companies were just worried. They 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 were all looking for ways to ways to appeal to to children you know and educational software was becoming more prolific on pcs and consoles were in more homes and and growing at a larger rate and so they were looking to dive into it so nintendo needed a project right they needed a project here with their super nintendo and they needed something to convince parents that video games were useful why why and why to buy it you know, let's talk about that real quick before before I kind of move forward into Mario Paint. So at the time, the Super Nintendo was one hundred dollars. It was ninety nine ninety nine, and Mario Paint was fifty nine ninety nine. So for one hundred and sixty dollars, you could get a video game system 
and this Mario Paint, which was a, like an educational piece of software, you know, to take home to your children. In opposition, you had all these home PCs. Home PCs were not cheap at all at the time, not in any way, shape, or form. Uh, you know, I I wasn't I, I wasn't looking at it in depth, but the cheapest that I saw computer computers for at the time was eight hundred dollars. Most of them were a thousand, twelve hundred dollars. You know, and and in in nineteen ninety two money that was stupid expensive. I mean, it's stupid expensive today, but even more so back then. You know. That that hundred dollar SNES is probably more like a two hundred and fifty dollar SNES or three hundred dollar system now. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Inflation is a thing. Inflation is a thing. Absolutely. So, you know, Nintendo was also trying to position this game as being an affordable alternative for finding educational software at a more affordable cost to get it into people's homes. And let's be honest, it was the gateway to get their system into people's house into people's houses. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, there's no doubt. So we have a project. They want to do an educational software. And so they hand this concept over to Nintendo's oldest video game development team, Nintendo Research and Development One. Now, we've looked at R&D One before. Uh, we, we talked about it next last week, to be honest with you. R&D One was headed by Gunpei Yokoi uh, and has been involved in many notable Nintendo projects, you know. Yokoi was the producer of Donkey Kong. He was basically hired to supervise, you know, first-time designer Shigeru Miyamoto in Donkey Kong. So those two guys together came together to build it, which is one of the earlier, I, I wouldn't say the earliest R&D1 project, because they did Radar Scope in some, you know, games before it, but uh, it was one of the earlier projects of R&D1. So Yokoi as we've talked about, has been involved in many notable Nintendo creations, including Game & Watch, Game Boy, and the Virtual Boy. Rob, you may remember, when we talked about him the first time, he's the one that whose life was unfortunately cut short when he got hit by a car on the highway. Do you remember that story vaguely? Vaguely, yes. Where, like, he was in a stalled car, got out of the car, and then someone hit the accident, and he got killed in the secondary Yeah. Hit. R&D 1 has been involved in many important Nintendo games. You know, we talked, like I said, we talked about Radar Scope. We talked about Donkey Kong. You know, Metroid is another series that they're involved in. They were the, the development studio that did Mario Land. That's when we talked about Yokoi for the first time, which is way back in episode 34, which you can get on our website, www.memorycardlane.com, if you'd like to go and check out the old episodes on the Mario Land series. But one thing that was different about this game mario paint was it may have been a nintendo r&d one game but it wasn't given to one of the more notable directors it was actually given to a relatively new game director hirofumi matsuoka prior to this he was a designer on metroid super mario land and tetris just a game designer not in charge of anything his first game that he ever directed was a game called on Game Boy called Game Wars, Game Boy Wars, something like that. Basically, it's a what's the series that's like wars that they really like on the Game Boy. Do you remember Future Wars, something wars? I never played that. Apparently, I have no idea what you're talking about. All right. Well, in any case, it's like a it's 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 like a turn based strategy game, like with 
it's like a turn-based strategy game, like wartime strategy type game. There was one that was poured over to Game Boy called Game Wars, and he was the director on it. And this was basically the second game he was ever asked to direct. With that being said, before I get into the game itself, I want to talk a little bit about other notable names that are involved with Mario Paint, because there are, I like to talk about pedigree, and there are there are other people that were involved in Mario Paint that I think we should talk about. One of them we talked before, I believe, with the uh, Mario Land series was Hip Tanaka. Do you remember Hip Tanaka at all? I can't say it sounds familiar at the moment. So we first talked about Hip Tanaka. I'm wrong. It was episode 40 when we were talking about Earthbound. Tanaka was one of the composers on Earthbound. And he also worked on other titles like Donkey Kong, Duck Hunt, Metroid, Super Mario Land, Dr. Mario, and Super Smash Brothers. He's going to come up again because his time on Earthbound led him to his current role, where he is now the president of Creatures Incorporated. And Creatures, of course, Creatures, of course, as you just had your epiphany, is one of the three main companies associated with the Pokemon Company. And towards the end of September, we're going to be covering Pokemon. So we're going to talk about Hip again. That's going to be kind of fun. One of the other composers who we've not discussed before is Kazumi Totaka. I would kind of note, so Totaka has one director credit to his name. Uh, He directed Wii Music, uh, and that's his only director credit. Aside from that, he has composed music for and sound effects for that matter for a lot of games. Uh, He's also the voice of Yoshi, if I'm not mistaken. We're going to talk about him later on, too, because his likeness is in a video game that I think you and I are both going to really enjoy talking about that we're also going to cover in September, which is uh, Animal Crossing. Mm. When we get to the Animal Crossing in the middle of September, we get to talk about Tataka again. Tataka's a lot of fun. There's a hidden Easter egg called Tataka's Song. The very first game that it was ever featured in was Mario Paint here, and it has been in a lot of other Nintendo titles as an Easter egg including almost every Animal Crossing game. So we'll cover, we'll, we'll kind of, you know, cover all that again when we talk about Animal Crossing. So they handed, handed off Mario Paint to these guys, and they made a game that involved using a mouse peripheral. Mice were just becoming a thing, you know, I, I say just becoming a thing. So a funny thing about that as a side note, one of the things that I kind of wanted to do when I was doing my research this episode is I want to talk about the history of mice. And I want to talk about the history of mice because I, I remember as a child not having mice on my early computers. You know, I've talked in the past about how I like to program in basic on the old Atari PC. It didn't have a mouse, you know, and, and we had a Commodore and Apple computer and they didn't have mice. You know, they were... DOS-based computers, you know? And so I was trying to think of when the mouse became a thing. And the real answer is, is that, you know, around the time that Windows came out, which was, I believe, not to, you know, 1989, 1990, you know, when they started using uh, GUI, graphical user interfaces, and mice became more popular. But the truth of the matter is, is, you know, I'm thinking that mice are you know, just becoming in this when the truth of the matter is mice were invented way back in like the 1960s. And by the 1980s, they were fairly common. They just, for whatever reason, until we got to Windows, it wasn't it wasn't quite a thing. Because it's easy to think on one hand, 
that maybe this was Nintendo's way of introducing a generation to mice. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, is it it was it was kind of happening. I, I guess it kind of was because the first computer I can ever remember getting a mouse with was our Windows. Like we got a Packard Bell machine that had Windows ninety five on it, and I don't remember having a computer with a mouse before that. I could be wrong. I don't know, but I don't. I just remember all the early computers we had, and even the early computers I used in school. You know, like, we had a computer lab, you know, when I was, I guess, middle school, maybe late elementary school, but they were DOS-based machines, so we had to learn, you know, we, we learned how to use the all the command commands in DOS. So we have the SNES mouse, and it was a peripheral that was made. Realistically, in a lot of ways, the software was created to familiarize people with the mice. I, you know, I I don't really... This is one of the weird things about this. I never got the sense in doing research on this or the peripheral itself that the Nintendo, the SNES mouse, like, was really made for anything else. Does that make sense? It only has one use. Now, with that being said, there are a ton... There are a ton of games that support it technically. Games like Acme Animation Factory... There was an advanced Dungeons and Dragons game, a game called Breakthrough, Doom. They made Doom for the Super Nintendo that you could use a mouse on. Isn't that's kind of fascinating? I didn't know that. Jurassic Park game. There was a Lemmings game. There were various games called Mario's Early Years that you could use with it. Populous game, uh, Revolution X, which is the the Aerosmith arcade rail shooter game. You ever know that Aerosmith made their own video game? I actually did not. Oh my god, that thing was in arcades everywhere. It used to crack me up. There's a Sim Ant we vaguely talked about. Sid Meier Civilization for the SNES is compatible with the mouse. The Super Game Boy as a peripheral itself could be paired with the mouse. There was a Solitaire game. There was a game called Tin Star. Wolfenstein 3D. You know, it... it it surprised me to find out that so many games were compatible with the mouse because I don't, I mean, and my, it's, it's probably a lot of the fact that we don't, we never had it, you know, cause we talked about not having it, but, uh, I just don't remember. I don't remember it ever being talked about that. It worked with all these games. Yeah. I couldn't have told you any of that, but the mouse itself was nothing special. It was a plastic mouse pad and a mouse that had two buttons, you know, at that that was it. It it really was designed to mimic the functionality of a two-button computer mouse. It was smaller than normal mice were at the time. I, I don't really know what the reason for that. Maybe because they expected children to use it more than anything. And it's noted, too, that it had a shorter cable than a controller cable. So I don't know if maybe... The mentality was that you were going to use this more like a computer where you sit closer to your monitor than not. That being said, there were there were a lot of games. There were a lot of games that you could use with the mouse. But the first one and the one that it came with initially was Mario Paint. So let's talk about Mario Paint, shall we? That we shall. Take her away once again. Now, have you ever have you ever stumbled across Mario Paint in any way, shape or form? Are you familiar with the game? 
I mean, I know of it, but I've never played it or I, cause that's actually where the, um, the making music started was with Mario paint. It is. It is. That's one of that is one of a couple features of the game. It's like the original Mario maker in a sense. It's really funny that you say that because that comes up. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. So according to the manual, there are two parts of Mario paint that are meant to familiarize the user with the mouse itself. There's the title screen where users can click on each of the logos and text on the, the title screen which all prompt different things to happen. And then there was a fly swatting minigame called Nat Attacked, where basically gnats or flies would fly on the screen and you'd, you'd, you know, you'd, you'd be holding a fly swatter and you'd put the fly swatter on the fly and you'd press the button and the fly would go away. And so you had these two minigames that, that would, you know, they were designed to get you used to using the mouse. However, the meat and potatoes of the game was all the content creation. And I say content recreation because that's literally what it was before the concept of content creation was actually a thing. There was a drawing board. There was uh, the draw, you know, animation land where you could make little loops. There was a music composition feature, which, of course, you just talked about. And there was a coloring book, which kind of speaks for itself, you know. And kind of going through them from starting with simplicity in the coloring book, there was, you know, some pre-made drawings. There was a Yoshi one. I think Yoshi and Mario one. There was a greeting card. There was an a. I don't know if there was an alien one. Um, I I'm, I might be getting the commercials. I watched all the commercials for this game. There's a lot of commercials. They did an advertising blitz on this game. Um, but there was an underwater scene. There was a bunch of different uh, color, you know, things that you could basically color in by clicking the mouse on a section and it would fill in a certain color. If you didn't want to do coloring, you could create original paintings on what's called the drawing board. You know, on the drawing board, you had 15 different colors, you know, that was your color base. And you had 75 different patterns, different stamps, and the ability to make shapes like squares and circles. You had different size brushes and pen colors and, you know, like you had the paint bucket to fill in areas. You could copy and paste, you know, draw a square like in normal software that we're used to nowadays. You could take part of a drawing, copy it, paste it, rotate it either vertically or horizontally. You could erase it with different size erasers. It, it, for all purposes, it was pretty much a Super Nintendo version of, I don't know, MS Paint. You know, that's kind of what we're familiar with nowadays, isn't it? Yeah. And then Animation Land, it's would let you use multiple frames. So you could create like four or six or nine frame animations. So you could create these drawings and then create four of them, you know, and put them together as an animation. And and so, I mean, basically, you could draw something and you can animate it inside your Super Nintendo, which is pretty awesome. There was a stamp editor where you could create new stamps to use in the in the drawing person or edit existing ones. There were also different characters. You know, aside from the English letters, they had the kanji characters and you could change the size and you could change the color and you could do everything that they wanted, you know? It was a, a relatively robust drawing program. Now with that being said, Rob, I think you're right. I think that 
And, and it might just be because it's the part that we, we uh, like you and I, are most familiar with. But I think the longest lasting part of the game is the music composition tool. It had 15 different instruments, and there were a bunch of sounds you could use. Like Mario's head was a piano, the power star was a bell, uh, the fire flower was a trumpet. The you know it did the Game Boy sound. It had a horn section that was a goose. Ah, <laughs> uh, man. So there were all these different things. You also had sound effects. Like there was a dog bark, a cat meow, a pig oink, Yoshi's zip sound. There was a bunch of them. And then you could add these to a clef that would change it, you know, change the the pitch of the note. And together, these things were all made to, what's the word I'm looking for? C- create music. And that's pretty much it. That's, that's you know, I, I spent a lot of time working up to it. And there's not a lot of game, but there is a lot of game at the same time. I don't know if that makes a whole lot of sense. Rob, I can't I can see that chances are we would have spent more time with the music editor than anything. Is that fair? Most likely, yeah. You think so? At least in my case, yeah. I want the other stuff was as cool, but I mean the music was probably would have been the most fun for me to just be able to create music and you know, something at home to be able to do it. I want to share something with you. Do you see what I'm sharing? Okay, yes, I see. So what do you see? Uh, I see I see notes being played, and you have signatures. Or not signatures, but you have, like, your sharps, your flats. Can you hear the sound coming through? Yeah, I can hear it. Do you know what song it is? Through the Fire and Flames. Yeah. So there are people that are still making video games, music modern music using mario paint which is so cool like you know to this day people are still using uh, and it's a little different so there are online tools where people have taken the mario paint composer part the music part and they've translated it into an online tool but it's still there like people are still making music for fun using this tool that was created in 1992 what 20 almost 30 years ago 29 years ago oh my god 29 years ago did i do the math right maybe oh lord well i mean in 2022 it'd be 30 years so it's it's god yeah blows my mind how long ago some of this stuff was so i mean there are still people that are making music using these fun tools uh as a side note as always all the research everything we look at I'd like to post online on our website at www.memorycardlane.com. And I will post links to, I briefly talked about all the commercials I was looking at. So I will post a link to a collection of the commercials used to advertise Mario Paint. And I will also post links to uh, a few YouTube channels, or at least one YouTube channel called Mario Part Hangout that is specifically dedicated to making music to this day uh, using the Mario Paint composer. Not only that, it's not just the composer. I, I, was, I was just searching for Mario Kart on... Mario Kart? Mario Paint on YouTube. And literally two days ago, I found a Twitch stream that someone posts on their YouTube channel where they were just messing around with their friends in Mario Paint 
for starters, they drew Ace Attorney, uh, Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney, his objection thing in Mario Paint. People are still using this tool almost 30 years later to make creative content, which I think is is honestly really, really fascinating, like super fascinating. So being that it's almost 30 years ago, I will admit, you know, I was trying to dig out some reviews because this is about the time, you know, in the podcast where I like to sat here and given you my opinion on things for god knows how long more than y'all want to listen and i like to hear from other people but admittedly it's a little tough to find reviews from 30 years ago i did find some retrospective reviews though retrospective reviews are where people kind of replay games you know kind of like we do with the more nostalgic view of things and and go back on it and so rob i pulled for both critic and user reviews i pulled some more retrospective reviews this week for you to go over so you want to take the helm for a little bit i suppose that i can dave fire away bro ham all righty one such review we have is from infinity retro that notes that the thing about mario paint is that there's more than meets the eye let's start with the title screen it features the game logo with an animated mario running underneath it I absolutely love the fact that you can click the individual letters in the logo for a myriad of effects. You can shrink Mario, cause one of the letters to fall on him, knocking the character off screen, change the background, and more. The effects might just be for sure, but it's a very charming feature and knows that the developers really put their hearts into what would otherwise be a mundane release. After moving on from the... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, well, that's the stuff we talked about where the title screen was made to just introduce you to the mouse. One of the cute little things he didn't talk about is that Mario actually runs away from the mouse. So as you try to, as you try to move the cursor towards him, he'll change direction and run in the other direction. So little little bit of an interactive title screen, which honestly was kind of rare for the time. I don't know of a, I don't really know of other titles that had interactive title screens, but you know, the type of title screens we had really didn't lend themselves well to that and this was kind of different. Alrighty. So after that, they go on to say that after moving on from this, you're introduced to your blank canvas, where you navigate your cursor around to select different tools, switch modes, and more. You can draw with thick or thin lines, fill areas with paint, and everything in between. The tool set is surprisingly robust, and you can actually make some pretty decent pictures. They finish by saying that recommending image editing software released back in 1992 is a very weird concept. Fortunately, Mario Paint transcends the idea behind it. The interface is surprisingly simple and easy to grasp, and the whole package is overflowing with charm. This cartridge is absolutely brimming with content. This was one of my most played games for the Super Nintendo by a wide margin, simply because it has so much to offer. Mario Paint is absolutely still worth playing today. Unfortunately, you'll need the mouse, and so make sure it's included in any purchase. This is an iconic title, and it's a crime we haven't seen a follow-up. I do think that Mario Paint is so worth playing because I think its tools don't age. You don't age out of basic painting software, you know, or you don't age out of basic music composition software. Heck, I would put money on the fact we could probably go online and Google drawing software or music composition software and find software that is not nearly as robust as Mario Paint is. And it's been 30 years, and we've had, you know, technologically, the the 
ability of the machines that run this software have just I, let, let's be honest our cell phones you know we're glued to our cell phones nowadays our cell phones run numbers or not numbers they run circles around the super nintendo you know what i mean absolutely so i i agree i think mario paint is uh, mario paint is one of those rare titles that because of what it is is does not age i or age as well, depending on how you look at it. I, I think it holds a, a very unique spot. So, all right. Well, that was the one critic review I pulled, but I did find, I also found some interesting user reviews uh, this week. So let's keep going and seeing what other people have to say about Mario Paint. I got to write that oh, time. Right. Yeah, that, that you did. You're yeah. getting better. Mario but Paint. not by much. I know. It's okay. So first up, we have user RE4Freak on GameSpot who says that apparently Mario is a plumber, the savior of the Mushroom Kingdom, and a freelance artist. Her thing. <laughs> Mario Paint is extremely simple and easy to control. You pick a color or pattern, then draw with the mouse. That's basically it. I mean, this is an innovative Mario, and the SNES mouse works fairly well, but it gets boring after about 20 minutes. It can be kind of fun to draw a picture of Mario, or Luigi, or any other video game character. You can draw anything you want, but this game doesn't offer any objectives or try to keep you interested. I suppose it's a way to kill a half hour if you absolutely love pixelated art, but to the average gamer, I don't think this game can keep you interested. I don't think it's fair to classify this as a game. I think that's where, you know, a lot of people can't associate or relate or anything. You know, it's not a game. It's content creation. And there's definitely a place for that. More so now than before, but we'll talk about that shortly. Uh, why don't you take the next uh, review? All right. So next up, we have user Rocket My Window from GameSpot, who says that Mario Paint was the very first game that ever had my name on the package and given to me. This was a 1995 Christmas gift. It was awesome because it came in a bigger box in order to enclose the plastic mouse board and mouse. So I felt extra special. I kept the box for a long time. I always looked at it because I thought it was so cool. I played this game with my brothers and my cousins. No, it's not a two-player game. It's not really a game at all if you think about it. But it was so fun to see what kind of things were created by other people. The possibilities were endless. You can create your own sprites pixel by pixel. This was something that was either extremely cool or extremely hilarious when playing with my cousins. Along with the animation mode, which is done frame by frame. There's a very simple looping system, but it's really neat nonetheless. There's stamps that you can use that were all Mario game based, which is really fun. So you could use these in your animations. We normally made Mario's head explode or something similarly destructive and demented. Well, see, I talked about how there was no violence in video games with this, and these this one just proved me wrong. So, bleh. yeah, nice going, Dave. Jeez. I know. I know. <laughs> It was a simple concept, but that really did not matter because you could do whatever you wanted. There's a coloring book mode. What made it fun for me was coloring it the wrong colors just to see what Mario and Yoshi would look like. Also, the game offered several different options on how to erase a screen clean. It was even fun to experiment with that. The only negative things to say about Mario Paint are you can't really do anything with your work once you're done. So you'd better enjoy it and not get angry when it's gone. You can save one thing at a time which doesn't really make sense if you ask me. I read that people used to videotape their works with a VHS. Not too, not too shabby. Yeah. Also, another thing about this game is if you aren't creative, then you're going to get bored. 
So this game isn't for just anybody. Really fascinating about the VHS. I I tried looking for it, but I couldn't find it. I was I was um among the things I did when I was researching for this, there's a really great gaming historian on YouTube. The channel's really called The Gaming Historian. The guy does really high quality video game history documentaries. Uh, in all honesty, the kind I would like to do if I could ever, you know, quit my job and get paid to just full time do video game history. You know, we we go about it where we try to whip out a game, you know, one game a week. And, you know, there's only so much you can do and talk about and be so specific when you're trying to squeeze an hour of conversation a week. This guy, you know, puts out a, you know, one title every month or two months. And it's it's a 30, 40 minute video on, a, you know, specific video game history. And they're really well done. He's great. His name's Norman Caruso. If you've never seen a video game documentary or gaming historian uh, channel, you know, YouTube video, I highly recommend it. But one of the things he talked about there it was either in the video where I listened to him get interviewed on a podcast with the Gaming Historical Society or Foundation. There's an artist that will create these recreate portraits of people and Mario paint and record themselves while doing it. And that's what they're selling. They're, they're recording the, the video and the portrait and, you know, sending the VHS to people, which I think is a really, really cool concept. So there you go. Yeah, that is really cool. So I pulled one more review. Absolutely one more review. So what did Dark Balthazar on GameSpot have to say? Well, Dave, they had to say that the only reason they like this game is because they got it before they had a computer. As a word of advice, there really is no need for this game if you have a computer, which I'm about 99% sure you you do. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't be on this site. Fair enough. Yeah, absolutely. It has a couple of neat effects. A music creator and a minigame, but is otherwise about as neat as a jazzed-up paint. The gameplay is crazily unique, different from any other game. The whole game is controlled with a special Nintendo mouse on a flat surface, like with a computer. There is no storyline at all. It's just a workshop for you to let your imagination and overabundance of creativity to explode. The replay value will only last until you get a real computer, and you have plenty more options of things to do. It's one of the games that just gets repetitive after a while. About the only reason I would still play it is for the music creation, which has a couple characteristics not in any other music creator. In conclusion, I would advise not to buy this game. There are plenty of other things to do similar, if not better than it. But all in all, it is a good game in itself, and it was especially innovative at the time it came out. It was. It was. And with that being said, I, I want to take some time. You know, as always, we 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 like to talk about inspiration, the game itself and legacy. You know, in this case, we you know we we're talking about the game. We know that its inspiration was that Nintendo wanted to break into educational titles in the market. And now let's talk about its legacy. Uh, Rob, have you ever watched an episode of Harm Homestar Runner? Trogdor. And Strong Bad. And strong bad. The very first episode ever made of Homestar Runner was animated using Mario Paint. That's actually insane. I had no idea about that. You can go on the Homestar Runner website, uh, actually, to like the archives, and it has it has the like it's been converted to Flash, of course, but it has like an archival video of the first Mario Paint or the first episode. And yeah, I didn't know that either. It was it was made 
<laughs> the very first episode was made in Mario Paint. So that's kind of wow. cool. Um, like we had talked about, you know, there are, you can go on YouTube and, you know, the Mario Paint Hangout, the place that we were looking at music, is a really cool place to see music covers in Mario Paint. I think by far, I see more people using Mario Paint for, the, you know, its music paint composer aspect, whether or not it's on the emulator side or on the, you know, online where they separate the software. Um, so there is, there's still a lot of Mario Paint on YouTube. And then, of course, like I said, there's a few YouTube channels that you could go on and find where people are drawing, like the the one I talked about, the guys were streaming the other day. So that's kind of cool. More importantly, though, Mario Paint is cited as the inspiration for a lot, a lot, a lot of modern titles. For instance, uh, game designer Masahiro Harakiyama cited Mario Paint as the inspiration for the drawing and music creation tools in Warrior Wear Do-It-Yourself, which I believe was a DS title. Uh, when they came out with WarriorWare Incorporated Mega Microgames, the fly swatting minigame or the Nat, the Nat Squash game or whatever they called it in this, that was part of one of those minigames, so it was there. And then, of course, Rob, you brought up Mario Maker. Did you not? That I did, Dave. So this is probably one of the more fascinating ways that we still have Mario Paint influence to this day. So back here in the 90s, you know, when Mario Paint came out, early 90s, Mario, rather Nintendo, was exploring the concept of a video game editor. You know, their, their idea was that you could start a level and pause it and then use editing tools to, you know, modify the game around you and then unpause the game to play the rest of it. So they were trying to create, they were trying to create these, these tools, you know. It was a concept that really wouldn't come to fr fruition. Uh, with that being said, it was really later on, more towards the Wii and Wii U era, uh, it was a concept that was reimagined in Mario Maker game producer Takashi Tezuka. So at the time, Tezuka was wanting to, to make a follow-up to Mario Paint. He, he wanted to basically take the gamepad from the Wii U, which was one of the cool, which probably was the draw of the Wii U, was it not? Did you own a Wii U? Yes, I do have one. I don't. Was it fun? I enjoyed it, yeah. I skipped it. Was, I skipped it. It definitely wasn't my most played Nintendo console, but uh, there were a few titles on there that I really enjoyed. Mine definitely got used mostly uh, in the docked version, gotcha. much like my Switch. Yeah. But uh, there were definitely a couple times where you know I just wanted to play and kind of took it to myself and played my games. Um... So yeah, so they wanted to take that gamepad, and Tezuka had wanted to make a follow-up to Mario Paint on the Wii U using the gamepad, which I think was a, a really great tool. And it was about this time that someone at Nintendo had shown him an interior tool, like an internal tool, that they were using to make Mario levels for some of the other Mario games, like I'm... I, I would go on a limb here and say it was probably what Super Mario Brothers U Wii U wasn't that the one the new Super Mario Brothers is that the like new Super Mario Brothers is what it was called yeah 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 so Tezuka put these together right he saw the internal tours tools that they were using to make Mario levels 
And he thought of how interesting it would be if he could take the concept of Mario Paint and up the ante on it and turn it into a course editor. He wanted to bring Mario Paint and a course editor together, and this concept would later become Super Mario Maker. So you are absolutely right. Mario Paint directly influenced Mario Maker. I mean, like, literally directly. <laughs> it's one of its inspirations. And then one thing I want to briefly talk about um, is the 64 disk drive, the 64DD. Do you remember the 64DD at all? We've kind of vaguely talked we about talked it. We talked about it, yeah, but uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it never came stateside. It was a disk drive for the Nintendo 64. You know, right. and realistically, I, I kind of want to save a, a conversation about these games for... I, I want to do an episode on the 64DD itself. But I, I, one thing to know for concept of Mario Paint, there were only 10 games that were released for the 64DD, and four of those games were in a suite of tools called the Mario Artist series, which were basically a sequel, a direct sequel to Mario Paint. They were going to do a Mario Paint 64, and it became the Mario Artist series, and then the 64DD crashed, so they had planned like eight or nine different modules for the Mario Artist series, and they made four of them, which is the majority, uh, almost the majority. It's a quarter, more than a quarter of the uh, 64DD library. I think that's a fair statement. Wow. Um, in fact, the very first game to be released for the 64DD, if I'm not mistaken, was Mario Artist Paint Studio, which, as you can, you, you can probably easily determine what that game was, huh? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so yeah, so you know, there, there, there were some direct, there were some direct inspirations for Mario Part. Part. <laughs> I keep doing it. My goodness, I'm gonna get so much flack. That's the only thing, y'all. Y'all don't ever write in to share things. You only write in to tell me when I say stupid stuff, and I'm gonna get so much flack. We're saying Mario Part this whole episode. I almost want to go back and re-record Mario Paint and then just copy it over every time I said Mario Part just to spite you all. But I don't have the time or the patience for that. Ugh. Alright, off my soapbox. I'm gonna wrap up here, Rob. And I, I... Okay, Dave. <laughs> Shut up, you little shit. <laughs> I think it's fair to say... My opinion on Mario Paint is that it was ahead of its time. It's a great game. Like I said before, you know, we could probably go online and find tools that aren't as robust as Mario Paint. The problem with Mario Paint is it was content creation software, but what did you actually do with the content? You get what I'm saying? Right. I, we didn't have the internet at the time. We didn't have... We didn't have cell phones where we could snap pictures and send them to our friends. We didn't have any of that. At the time to share, people would put them on VHS tapes. That's all we had. And most of us didn't even think about stuff like that. You know, it's, it's, it, it fascinates me because we recorded our favorite TV shows. And I'll be honest with you, I have videos around here where one of my favorite Final Fantasy games, I think 10, uh, my best friend and I recorded every cutscene. I have like 16 hours of cutscenes for one of the Final Fantasies on VHS somewhere in my house. Jesus. I know, right? Here in 1992, what did you do with the content? Like, that really limited, that limited the popularity 
that limited the popularity of Mario Paint because there there's no fun in making things if you don't have anyone to share it with. And the platform for any content creation software nowadays is huge with the YouTubes and the Snapchats and the Instagrams of the world. And we just didn't have that. And I think that hell, even Super Mario Maker is a great example, right? Super Mario Maker, there's hundreds of levels, you know, for I have Super Mario Maker 2. So you can go on you can go on Super Mario Maker 2 for your Switch and you can find hundreds, thousands, thousands, let's go with thousands, thousands of levels for to play. Imagine if Super Mario Maker didn't have any online connectivity. If all you could ever do was make your level, and then what would you do with it? You'd play it once, play it twice, and you'd probably get bored with it. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Um, Mario Paint is a great piece of software. It, it's excellent. There's there's no problem with it whatsoever. I think I joked last week, it's like the 18th best-selling game of the SNES era, which is quite an accomplishment. And it's an excellent game. It got, you know, for what it's worth, I may not have been able to find reviews aside from, you know, GamePro said that it was, you know, one sentence blurbs. But everything I did see, everyone gave it great reviews and had nothing but good things to say about it. And they're right. There there isn't anything bad to say about the game. It just, there was nothing to do with it. it there was nothing to do with it. You know, you couldn't share... You couldn't share with anyone but your family, which I guess is not a bad thing, but it's only going to get you so far. I guess that's right. So, so that's my take on Mario Paint. Great game, just just ahead of its time. That's uh, that's that's what I think. Um, that's what I think. Nowadays, you can play it in different ways. It's easily emulatable. And like I said, you can go online if you want to look look at the music composition software to play like um, uh, uh, Mario Paint Composer. It's what it's called. Heck, just Google Mario Paint. It's one of those games that there's you could play it on the web for free. Whatever the I'm not I'm not going to debate the legality of it. I I would encourage everyone to go out and actually purchase these video games. Don't pirate them. But it's relatively easy to just Google Mario Paint and find a way to experience this game for yourself. If you've ever just wanted a fun way to kill a little bit and make something cute. And then, like I said, put it on your Snapchats and your Instagrams. Actually, do something with this game because you can actually share it nowadays. Rob, you got anything you want to add to the game itself? Give it a try. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate that. I mean, I, I don't have much. I, it's not a game that I was I know. playing when I grew up, so... I know. Yeah. I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. Just teasing. Well, you know, uh, throughout this episode, I referenced a lot of a lot of old episodes. You know, we talked about the Earthbound episode. We talked about the Super Mario Land episode. Yeah. So if you want to go back and check on any of those old episodes, you can do so basically anywhere you get your podcasts. They're all queued up in the timelines and on our website at www.memorycardlane.com. Also on our website... Uh, memorycardlane.com you can find a calendar of upcoming episodes that we're going to record so if you would like to submit uh, your own opinion, review story uh, maybe submit a gaming question we don't have one this week because I had a lot to talk about surprisingly enough Um, if you'd like to do any of that you can do so on our website 
You can get biographies for Rob and I. You can find a link to join our Discord community where you can play games with us or come and tell me how I said Mario part this whole darn episode. Um, there are a lot of things to explore and find out on our website. One other feature of it is the ability to support our website. Rob, I uh, I just paid the web hosting bill for another year, so I, I could tell you we're right in that, you know, we're episode 49, we're about to hit that one year mark. This is about the time when we started to make everything happen. So, um, yeah, if you want to support our website, you can do so on the support tab at www.memorycardlane.com, which will take us to which will take you to our Patreon. You can also get there by going to patreon.com slash trip down memory card lane, where for only $2 a month, you can support us and uh, show your satisfaction over me rambling about classic video games for an hour. Lastly, you can find links to our social media. I can be found on Twitter at David is wrong one or David underscore is underscore wrong. Just search for David is wrong. You'll find me. There's also a Twitter for this podcast itself at a trip down memory card lane. Either way, I will post episodes of, uh, you know, you'll get notifications on when new episodes come out. I also on my own personal Twitter feed, I post all my Rocket League highlights and wish uh, video games a happy birthday. Rob, what are you doing on social media these days? I can be found on twitch.tv forward slash F-A-T-B-O-I-R-I-P-Z. Awesome. Well, this is about the time that we wrap up the episode. I think that we've, you know, we've talked about Mario Paint. I'm I'm actually, I, I had, I had way more to say about Mario Paint than I thought I was when I went into this. Uh, it doesn't, it's not, it's not the most complex game. It's not the most popular game. And when I come across games like this, I really think that I'm going to struggle to fill out the time. But I didn't. So go me. I'm full of hot air and I know how to fill in time. I, I don't know. Whatever. So, uh, But every week, as uh, every week before we take it out of here, we like to go around roundtable. Because, of course, the goal of each episode is to teach you something new about the game, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to it as its legacy. And in doing so, we like to find out what we ourselves learned as well. So, Rob, I'm going to start with you. What did you learn today? Well, actually, I didn't I didn't ever really know that the different instruments in the game were different icons. I kind of was always trying to just figure it out, and I kind of just figured it was just because people used it. I didn't actually realize that they were uh, each a different instrument. So that's that's kind of cool to finally understand that and know that. Well, there you go. Now you can start diving down the rabbit hole that is Mario Paint composer covers because there's a buttload of them online. I mean, like, yeah, li- there are. like literally that Mario Paint Hangout. I'm going to post a link to the Mario Paint Hangout channel on uh, on our website. They literally posted a new video yesterday, which is like a 13-minute composition uh, made with Mario Paint composer. It's... People are people are still doing it. So, Uh, okay. so I myself, what did I learn? What did I learn? Uh, I never knew that the first episode of Homestar Runner was made using Mario Paint. That was a fun little fact that I didn't know. Uh, I also, like I said in the middle, I didn't know so many games were compatible with the mouse. I had zero clue. I genuinely thought that maybe this was the only one because I don't remember ever seeing 
other games used with it, but uh, there's a there's a buttload of them. So that was that was new for me as well. Um, that was new for me as well. So that was my takeaway. And uh, I don't really have anything else. What about you? About the game? No, I am good about the game. But uh, I do want to take a moment and say, as always, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us, whether or not we tell you every week, which I still think that we have, at least for the last few weeks. So keep it up and let us know what you think. Awesome. Well, on that note, I'm going to take it out of here because I, you know, I, I alluded a few times to me being excited for next week's game. So let's get the get the next week's plug where if you don't look at our calendar and you don't know what's coming up, you can finally find out what the heck I've been talking about, what I'm excited about. So, Rob, next week we're getting back on that whole one of the best video games of all time train, you know, eh, eh. Because for the past couple, sure. well, because for let's be honest, for the past couple weeks we haven't really been on that. Like we were on it for a while when we were talking about like Doom, for instance, and there was this whole run of games that was like, well, this is the best of this year, and Quake was the best for this reason. But really, with you know, we did Mario Paint, and we talked about the importance of Donkey Kong, but I, I, it's not ever really talked about as the best game of all time. You know what I mean? Right. But next week, we're literally getting back on one of those games. And, and it's funny, you know, when you talk about video games and you do a video game nostalgia podcast like this, that's a concept that seems to come up time and time again. Um, and the truth of the matter is, is that for the game that we're talking about next week, many aspects of the game were very revolutionary for its time. It had plot-related side quests that focused on character development. It had multiple endings. It had a unique battle system. It had, for what it's worth, breathtaking graphics. And its story was literally, it was one for the ages. You know, it spanned multiple points in time. We got to explore worlds with dinosaurs. We got to, we got to explore a medieval period that had knights. And we got to dabble in a post-apocalyptic future. You know, and if, and if everything I've said so far doesn't give it away, then chances are you've never played what I consider to be one of my favorite games of all time, Chrono Trigger. Uh, I, and honestly, it fits the bill. It really fits the bill. Go play it. It's you like like I said, you can get it on your mobile phones these days. There's ports for both iPhone and Android. There's a Nintendo DS ports. If you're one of those PC purists, you know PC Master Race. What what? Uh, it's on the Steam network for fifteen dollars. You literally have no excuse to not go play Chrono Trigger. Man, that was a good plug, wasn't it? That it was. You like Chrono Trigger? We'll save that for next week. <laughs> good answer. All right, y'all, go play it. Hit that submit button on our website. Tell us what you think about it. Then I want you to sit down and join us again next week as we take a time-traveling trip down memory card lane. Do the thing. Do 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 do